0: Well, church, what a joy and a privilege it is to gather together with you all yet again electronically to study the Word of God together. I don't know how it's been for you, but for me, the Word of God has remained a constant source of hope for me over these last few long, long weeks. As I've read and I've studied these scriptures with you, I'm always reminded of the constant care and the constant provision that we get from our God. These words, these words of scripture... They stand firm and true regardless of whatever circumstance of our lives we might be facing. And so as we are continuing to do that, I again invite you to uh, pull out your Bible with me uh, as we read these words of Scripture yet again together. This morning we're going to continue our Easter series called Resurrection People, and we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 7 this morning. We're going to be, Acts chapter 7, looking at the end of the chapter, uh, starting in verse 55. So Acts chapter 7, verse 55, reads this. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. and Saul approved of their killing him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Together we say, thanks be to God. Let us pray this morning, church. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the witness of your holy church, which has faithfully passed these words down to us. And Father, we now pray that... Your light might shine on these words in a new way, in a fresh way, so that we may come to know what you have to say to us this morning. May these words draw us ever closer towards the image and likeness of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray, amen. Now, in this scripture uh, that we just read, there seems to be sort of a lot going on here. It's another one of those cases where we're kind of dropped into the middle of all of the action that's going on around us. And so to help us really get to the middle of all that's happening within this story, I think it's helpful to slow down a bit, take a step back, and take a look at all of the characters uh, that we see in this story. The first character that we come across is this man named Stephen. Stephen was a young man who was introduced to us a chapter before um, in Acts chapter 6. He was one of seven people chosen to oversee ministry towards the Hellenistic Jews. Uh, These were Jewish people who had fully embraced Greek language, Greek culture. And we see in Acts chapter 6 there was this problem where Hellenistic Jewish widows were not being served uh, along with the Hebraic Jewish widows. They were being left out. And so the apostles chose seven disciples to make sure that everyone was being taken care of. And Stephen was one of those seven. Stephen is described in Acts chapter 6 as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And a bit later, he's described as a man full of God's grace and power. He was a great man who was very well respected by the people around him. He was firm on his relationship with God, and he was passionate to see people come to Christ. And what we see in scripture is that this passion that Stephen had to see people come to Christ, this passion is what got him in trouble. At the end of chapter 6, some teachers of the law accused Stephen of blasphemy against Moses and against God, basically saying bad things against them. And so they brought Stephen, uh, they took him, and they brought him before the next character in our story and that is the Sanhedrin. I'm sure you may have heard of the Sanhedrin before, but you can sort of think of them as uh, a local court. See, in those days, similar to what we do uh, today, most of the major cities had their own assemblies who would decide between local affairs. And the Sanhedrin was the assembly that was in charge of deciding legal disputes and other affairs in Jerusalem. And so Stephen is brought before the Sanhedrin on these charges of blasphemy. And the whole first 53 verses of chapter 7 is Stephen giving his defense in front of the Sanhedrin. Beginning with Abraham and and all the way up to the prophet Isaiah, Stephen is explaining to the Sanhedrin God's provision for Israel despite their disobedience, and he also explains how God cannot be contained. He's bigger than their their temples, bigger than their tabernacles. He he even quotes uh, God through the prophet Isaiah, uh, who said, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hands made all these things? So what we see in, in this long sermon, uh, really, that Stephen is preaching, he's laying out this connection between the Old Testament and Jesus. He's telling the story, and then he gets up to verse 51. He sort of just, he just rips off the band-aid, and he comes at him. He says, you stiff-necked people. You're making the same mistake that your ancestors did. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. That right there tells us a lot about the kind of, of person that Stephen is, how bold he is. That's something I would never do. <laughs> He's facing charges that, that could really truly lead to his death uh, if he doesn't convince the Sanhedrin uh, why they shouldn't kill him. And yet he still doubles down. He, because that's how important this truth is to Stephen. But the great irony of this whole passage is that while stephen is the one who's on trial what we really see is that it's the priests and the elders the sanhedrin who are the ones who are disobeying the law and so with that sanhedrin had heard enough stephen looks up into the sky into heaven and that's when we see the third character of the story be introduced jesus Stephen looks up into heaven. He saw heaven open up. He saw the glory of God, and there was Jesus. And notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting because in almost every post-ascension representation that we have of Jesus, he's sitting at the right hand of God. Matthew 26, Ephesians 1, Colossians 3, Hebrews 1, 8, and 10. It's even in the Apostles' Creed, the statement of our faith. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so it can't be a mistake that here in Acts chapter 7, Jesus is standing. The question is why? Why here? Why now? See, I think that there's a reason that Stephen sees Jesus standing rather than sitting. It has to do with Jesus, the character of Jesus. But before we can talk about that, we need to talk about the the fourth and final character in our story uh, today, this young man named Saul. What happens is they drag him out. Uh, They dragged Stephen out of the city to the place where they would kill him. And as the people were getting ready to throw the stones at Stephen, they took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of this young man named Saul. Now, this is the very first time in Scripture that uh, this young man is mentioned. And so, as of this point in the story, we don't really know a lot about him. We really only know a couple things. We know that he's young, uh, which probably means he's about... In his 20s or so but we also know that he already seems to have amounted some sort of respect around him and so saul is standing off to the side in this story he's about to witness one of the defining moments of his life they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named saul so we have these four characters stephen the one being persecuted the Sanhedrin, the one making the order to persecute. And then we have the two people on the outside looking in. One, Jesus, the one standing from heaven, and Saul, the young man who was watching on the outside. And as I read this, I thought, you know, I think we are all in this story. In one way or another, I think that we all relate to at least one of the characters in this story. See, some of you might be Stephen. Some of you might be innocent, and yet you're still persecuted. You, you, you were given a target on your back simply because of who you are. Others of you might be the Sanhedrin, the one who gives the orders to throw the stones because you refuse to listen, unable to see that it's actually you who are in the wrong. And still others of us might be Saul the one standing on the outside looking in. I want to start talking by talking this morning about the Sanhedrin, because I think that they are the ones who are in the wrong in this story. I really hope that I don't have to explain why I say that to you. So what's their problem? Why would they choose to do the wrong thing here? Why would they sentence Stephen to death even though Stephen is innocent? Well, I think that a big reason is because they wouldn't listen to Stephen, as, as as Stephen says at the at the end of his defense here, their hearts and their ears are still uncircumcised. They refuse to learn from the mistakes that their ancestors made. They refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit's instruction. And then in verse 57, we see that they physically refused to listen as well. They covered their ears. They began yelling at the top of their voices. They couldn't bear to listen to Stephen's rebuke of them. See, to them, to the Sanhedrin, it didn't matter what the truth was. The only thing that mattered to them, all that they cared about, was that they were right. And friends, this is the danger of talking more than we listen. I think, I think that so many problems could be prevented if we would just listen to each other and accept the possibility that we might be wrong about some things. See, so often we're taught here, stay with me here, so often we're taught that the answer to every problem is Jesus, but I can't help but wonder if Jesus is telling us that there doesn't need to be a problem in the first place if only we listen. I've told many of you in response to COVID-19, personally, I'm not in a position to know what the best way to defeat this virus is. But I do know that as long as I'm here and as long as I'm following the recommendations of the people who do know that stuff, then at least I'm not making the problem any worse. You see what I mean there? I 100% believe, 100% believe that Jesus can heal the coronavirus, but I'm not going to be the one that puts God to the test by going out and making the problem even worse. Are you following me? Jesus is able to solve every problem. Jesus is able to solve every problem. But I think that our calling as resurrection people is in part to avoid putting God to the test at all by making sure that we're not contributing to the problem in the first place. And I think that begins by listening. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when you don't like what the other person has to say to you, always, always, always listen more than you talk. The second category of people in this story are the ones who we see are on the outside looking in. They aren't necessarily the ones that are being persecuted in the moment. Uh, They aren't the ones who are doing the persecution. They're just observing the event. And if I had to guess, I'd say that's probably most of us who are watching this uh, sermon this morning. We aren't necessarily the target of persecution or injustice, and we're not necessarily the ones who are inciting the violence against our neighbor but rather we're just standing on the outside and we're watching it unfold. We're observing it before us. And of course, the two characters in Acts chapter seven that are in this position are Saul and Jesus. The difference between these two is not, it's not in their active role within the narrative. The difference between the two comes from their response to what they see unfolding before them. The response to the injustice that's happening right in front of their eyes. In this scene of the stoning of Stephen, uh, the impression that we get is not that Saul was actively engaging with the stoning. To me, it doesn't sound like Paul is throwing the stones. He's not the one giving the orders, giving the command to stone Stephen. He's just present. He's just watching. And for whatever reason, whether it be social pressure from his his sort of status as a as a respected Pharisee, or whether it's something else entirely. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but Scripture tells us that Saul approved of their killing him. I want us to contrast that with the response that Jesus gives. He stands. Remember, we said that this is significant because in almost every other post-ascension representation of Jesus, he is sitting At the right hand of god but here he's standing why is he doing that well one commentator wrote it this way he said jesus rose to assist and receive his first martyr you know this is one of the many times that i wish that the holy spirit inspired drawings just as much as he inspired the words that the authors wrote here (laughs) because on the first reading when we see jesus is standing at the right hand of god the father uh, it almost seems like Jesus is sort of standing still as like a guard at Buckingham Palace, right? He, he's standing to show his importance and his authority that he has. But when you read this passage within the context of what's happening in Acts, it seems that this act of Jesus standing is actually a bit more dynamic than it looks on the surface. See, I think Jesus stands as an act of empathy. Jesus stands because the persecution of Stephen is so painful for him to watch. It was too painful for him to watch. And we know this further because of what we read in chapter 9. When Jesus appears to Saul on the road to Emmaus, Jesus doesn't say to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting my church? No, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies himself so strongly with the pain and the fear of his church that it is, it's is—it's as if Jesus himself is the one who is being persecuted. And so here in this passage of Acts chapter 7, we get sort of a spectrum of the response of the outsider. On the one side over here, we have Saul on the side of approval and acceptance. And then way on the other side, way over here, We have the response of Jesus on the side of self-identification. And for those of us who are on the outside, uh, who are witnesses to the extreme injustices before us, we're somewhere along this spectrum. Either we're closer to Saul or we're closer to Jesus, or maybe, maybe we're right here in the middle. We're not saying that we're, we're fully for it, but we're not also saying that we're on the side of empathy and self-identification. You know, maybe we kind of think that the person had it coming to them, but we don't necessarily want to say that. But we're somewhere along this spectrum. If you're on the outside of persecution and injustice, which I believe is most people who are watching this this morning... I really challenge you to think about this spectrum and really take some time to examine where you are at on that spectrum. And don't just, please don't just decide right here and right now that you're on the side of Jesus. I've had to spend a whole week looking at this spectrum and and looking at it in my own life. And so the least that you can do for me is take one day. Take one day and really pray and really examine your own life to see where you are at on this spectrum. And then, and then once you know that, then you can begin to pray to God that he would help you to move closer and closer and closer to the side of Jesus. Because because this is our calling as resurrection people. It's to move from approval and acceptance beyond just the middle of an indifference to become active fighters against injustice. And then finally, I want to speak directly to the last group that we find in our story. I want to speak directly to the Stevens that might be listening. If you are currently experiencing some form of persecution or hardship of of any kind right now, here's what I think this text is saying to you. The Lord sees your pain. The Lord sees your pain. Just like he does in Acts chapter 7, Jesus stands and he's ready to act, letting you know that he hasn't left you all alone. He's right there with you. And and another thing, Jesus doesn't just look at your pain as an outsider. Jesus takes your pain. He makes it his own. He suffers with you. And so, friend, if you are struggling today, I need you to know that the Lord sees your pain. The Lord feels your hurt. Even if you are afraid and even if you feel like the entire world is against you, you are not alone. The Lord sees your pain here in Acts chapter 7, we see persecution from three different angles. From the one being persecuted, the one doing the persecution, and the one on the outside looking in. You know, I'm afraid that the picture that we see in Acts chapter 7 is a picture that we're all too familiar with in our day. See, when I planned this sermon series a full year ago, I could have never imagined the way that this week's text was going to line up with the events and the news this week. But God has reminded us, through these events, of our calling as resurrection people. We open our ears to listen to those who are in pain. We open our hearts to feel with those who are in pain, and we seek to join with the mission of Christ to bring the good news of His kingdom. A kingdom where justice flows like a river in the desert, where pain and suffering meet their end, and where we can dwell in the house of God forever. As Christians, this is our hope, church. But you know, it's more than that. And it doesn't have to wait. See, as people of the resurrection, living in spirit-led community with one another, this is our calling. And may we never quit until the mission of, may we never quit in mission with Christ, until we can see it come to pass. And so friend, as we end, I want to end with this charge, that you would go now, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, to live like Christ, carrying his mission wherever this week might take you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.